thank you for worshiping with us at Bethlehem Church. You know what I mean? And so, uh, man, it's so, so good of all the places you could be that you would hang with us to our campuses. So glad you were with us. Let me take a pause on 316 for two seconds. 211 Oconee County next weekend, next Sunday. We're a part of the Because Initiative, which is our expansion pro uh, project. We're moving the 316 campus, but we're also expanding your campuses. You're doing a few services. And next weekend, before the whole church sees, I'm going to be after the services at lunch at 211 and at dinner at Oconee County. And we're going to do the big reveal. We're going to let you see the alterations, the changes that are coming, the facility expansion, all of that happening next week. And so I wanted to let my friends 211 Oconee County know next Sunday after uh, the 11 in, in the evening, I'll be with you for a campus reveal where you, before 316, gets to see what's happening at your campus. Uh, we will let you guys see that. Uh, that'll be next week. I can't wait to hang with you guys and be there as well. And then you guys often know I say hello to, we have a partner church in St. Croix and God's doing such a great work there. I want to give them a big hand. They've just, we started partnering with them. God's doing a great work. They just moved into a brand new facility in St. Croix. Uh, and so we just want to say we love you, St. Croix Christian. And we're so uh, honored to partner with you guys in this journey and congrats to you guys. Now to get us going. Where we're going, we're walking through Romans for a few weeks. Going to be in and out of it for a year. But for these few weeks, September, first part of October, we're walking through this. To get us where we're going, let me ask you this. Anybody, by raising hands, there's not a right or wrong here, but anybody across our campus has ever heard of a guy named Francis Schaefer? Francis Schaefer. Give me a hand if you have. You don't, it's okay. Right? Somebody's like, was he quarterback for something? No, no, hold on, okay. He was a 20th century famed, highly, influ highly influential Christian philosopher, Presbyterian pastor. If you have a devotion that you read, if you have a favorite author, if you have a pastor that you like to listen to, or somebody that's influential, there's a really good chance Francis Schaeffer was highly influential, his writings in their life. Highly influential, okay? Now, I say this to say he was asked one time, if you had one hour with a modern person, what do you mean by that? Somebody living in our time, in our place, in our space. If you had one hour to talk to them about Christianity, what would you say? And this was his reply. I would spend the first 30 minutes trying to convince them that they're lost. Because failing to see that is the reason most modern people find Christ irrelevant. When we say the words irrelevant, what do we mean? Relevant, when something's irrelevant in your life, it's not that it's not real. You just don't see it as highly useful. There's not a need for it. And oftentimes, relevance and irrelevance, right? Oftentimes, relevance and irrelevance are all about a person's perspective. What I mean is a cup of coffee early in the morning or three is very relevant for me. Can I get a witness, right? It's a very relevant part of my day. I have friends that's like, I don't like coffee. I don't drink coffee. I don't even know why I call them friends, honestly, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't get it, but it's their perspective. Coffee's relevant for me. It's irrelevant for them. At the end of chapter one, I want you to hold that thought. Irrelevant. Oftentimes, it's based on perspective. At the end of Romans chapter one, where we left off last week, Paul is making the contention that all of us worship, all of us give glory, all of us give weight to something, and if it's not God, it's something else. 
So we put our weight, we put our worship, we put our focus, we put our intensity into something. And if it's not God, we do. We're not just worship. Singing is a part of worship, but it's not the whole of worship. We worship with our life. We give weight to something. And Paul is saying to us, what you give your weight to, what you glory in, God will give you over, even if it's not him. In fact, here's what we said. It's not in your notes. That God gives us what we want and the consequences that come with it. And if we glory in something besides him, God gives it to us. And if you read Romans 1, what you begin to find is a people that displace God. And when they displace God from his rightful place, the result was disordered lives. The result was disordered lives. What do you mean? If you read the bottom part of Romans 1, what you'll see, there was spiritual disorder, relational disorder, economic disorder, family dysfunction. Sexual disorder. In fact, the bottom part of Romans 1, Paul said, if, the, if, if what you want is to glory in something else, this is what a society that glories in something else, this is what a people that glory in something else will look like. And here's the words he uses. Just examples, not an exhaustive list. You can look at it at the bottom of Romans 1. He said, this will define your life. Covetousness, always wanting what others have. Malice, the intent to do evil. Envy, murder, strife. Sexual perversion, deceit, gossip, slander, right? Boastfulness, disobedient to parents, unfaithfulness, ruthfulness, or excuse me, ruthlessness. <laughs> right? Romans into Romans 1. This is what will characterize your life. This will characterize the people who displace God. They will have a disordered life. And so you read this list and you go, yeah. Yeah, Paul, those people right there, they need Jesus. They, these people, they need Jesus. Not only do they need Jesus, they need to change their life. They need to see their wicked ways. They need this gospel that you're talking about. They are the problem. These people, they and what they do, you're right, Paul. They make, and they and they and they are the problem and they need Jesus and they and they. And then you go to Romans chapter 2. If you got your Bible, stand with me. I want to read this over. It's Romans 2 across our campus. And if you'll stand with me, the first part of Romans 2, here's what Paul says. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. They, those people, they that do those things, here's what Paul just says. They is you. They is you. Keep reading with me. Right? We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those practices who who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience that you actually kind of deserve it, not knowing that it's God's kindness that's meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your heart and impenitent hearts, you're storing wrath up for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Church, across our campuses, you can be seated. This is God's word to us. God's word for us. Romans is all about the gospel. It's all the dead center of the gospel. The gospel is the dead center of Christianity. Gospel is the word that means good news. The good news of what Christ came and did and accomplished for us. 
All right? The declaration of what Christ has done and what it means for our life, that is the gospel. But here's what we've said every week. For there to be good news, there has to be bad news. And here's the question. But what if the bad news really isn't that bad? If the bad news isn't really that bad, then the good news isn't really that great. All right? The delusion of religion, and by religion I mean our attempts to make ourselves right with God, the delusion of religion, and here's what I mean by religion, religious heritage, religious roots, moral knowledge. What happens with religion and roots and heritage is sometimes we become convinced of our own goodness. It's kind of the, the, the place of we think, maybe we don't say, but, but what do I mean we become convinced of our own goodness? At least I don't. Delusion. At least I don't do. At least I don't. Or we begin to look out at the world and we go, at least I'm not like. You fill in the blank. I'm not perfect, but at least I don't. I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like. And throughout Romans, Paul differentiates. You see this again and again between the Jews and the Greeks. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The verse you all memorize is the power of God for salvation. First to the... You didn't memorize it. Jew, <laughs> then to the Greek or the Gentile. Why does he do that? Why is he doing that? In people's eyes, those were very distinct groups of people, people groups. But in God's eyes, they weren't. They were the same. It's kind of like in our context. Here's what Paul's saying. There are those of you who've been raised in church. There are those of you who have religious heritage. There are those of you who affirm there is a God. There are those of you who believe in morality, right and wrong. And then there are outsiders. There are those who weren't raised in church. There are those who don't have religious roots. There are those who are not sure about God or gods. And there are those who may not share the same moral compass. And listen to me, church. Here's what Paul is saying. The religious and the irreligious both need the gospel. Both need salvation. In fact, 2 verse 11, here's what he says. God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. What does that mean? The rebellious may be lost in their immorality, but the religious can be lost in their morality. Right? And what Paul knew is the gospel, the good news, oftentimes falls on the deaf ears of those who are convinced of their own goodness. So the gospel of Jesus becomes a story they affirm is not the power of salvation. What do you mean? The good news of the gospel is irrelevant to people who think they're pretty good. That's what Romans 2 is all about. The good news of the gospel, the hope and the salvation, right, falls on deaf ears of those people who are confident compared to others in their own goodness. Religion is the gospel's number one competitor. What I mean by this, the gospel's about being reconciled, being made right with God, and religion is and has always been the number one competitor to that. So for a second, I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna challenge you and encourage you with, with a couple of thoughts. And I want to remind us, whatever your roots are, wherever you're at, why religion isn't the answer. Because what Paul's wanting us to see is we make him point and go, those people, but we can be lost in morality too. What do you mean? If you're taking notes, here's what I want you to put down. No one meets God's standards, not even those who affirm God's standards. No one meets God's standards. 
We all fall short, even those who affirm God's standards. The first part of Romans 2, Paul looks at the religious crowd and says, here's what he says to them, verse 1, don't pretend that you live up to the standards you demand of others. It's Paul talking to the Jewish audience who believed in God, who had morality, who had the law, who had the Ten Commandments. Here's what he says, don't be pretending that you live up to the morality that you demand of others, right? Did you know over time, you can re review this, you can look at it for yourself. My review this, I mean, Google it. Social scientists, when they do research over decades, when they do research on be human behavior and morality and how people assess the self themselves over the decades, social scientists talking about human morality, conduct, how people assess themselves, human behavior, here's what the results come back decade after decade after decade. We all think we're more moral than average. Researchers at the University of London said this, a substantial majority of, individual, of individuals believe themselves to be morals, morally superior to average person. What does that mean? The vast majority of people, when push comes to shove and you really press them, will, we, will say this, if you really knew me, I'm a good person. The vast majority of people. I've got a good heart if you really get to know me. Now listen to me. <laughs> we all, it's in us all to fool ourselves about a lot of things. Like you can find studies, go look it up. 93% of people are convinced they're good drivers. <laughs> go look it up. Hey, how many, when 93% of people are convinced they're better than average and good drivers. You've never <laughs> driven on I-85 right, at rush hour, nor have you driven on 316 at any hour, right? 93% of people, right? You can find studies that will say the vast majority of people are convinced they're smarter than the average person. The vast majority of people, when asked, are convinced they're more friendly. What I mean is we're okay saying, we're okay with saying we have bad moments, but the idea that we're bad people, nah, nah. Right? Like when my kids were younger, they would ask, Dad, we'd out, be outside shooting basketball, and they would ask, Dad, when you were in high school, could you dunk a basketball? That's what they'd ask me, five or six years old. Dad, when you were in high school, could you dunk a basketball? You know what I'd say? Basically. <laughs> Basically. What does that mean? <laughs> Basically. I could touch the rim, right? That's 90% of the thing right there. Right, I could touch the rim, but could you dunk a basketball? I could touch the rim. Well, that's not dunking. That's close, though, right? When my golf buddies would go, Jason, how'd you play today? How'd you play today? You know what I'll say? Well, my drive was pretty straight, and I putted pretty well, but I'll ignore that I didn't hit one green with an iron the whole day. <laughs> Why? We have a tendency to focus on what we feel we're good at and ignore the other things, right? Paul is saying to us, just because... You affirm God's standards, right? Just because you affirm God's ways and acknowledge God's standards doesn't mean you live by them. Sometimes our sense of our own goodness is our greatest delusion. Sometimes, right? So I'm going to do something I've never done. We're all going to do this together. So all skate across all of our campuses. We're going to take a little quiz. Bethlehem Church, I've never given a little quiz. We're going to take a little quiz just for a moment, okay? I think all of us would agree 
The Ten Commandments are a pretty good moral compass is what God gave us as the law. You may not even be a believer, somebody who followed, but most people would point and go, at least many of these you can point to and go, this com- uh, you know, comprises what a good person is. So here, I put it in your notes. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to walk you through real quick. We're going to navigate right through, not all of them, just a few of them. And I want to ask you across all of our campuses, how naturally does it come that we keep these commandments? So what you can do is put an X by those, you're like, nailing it. <laughs> and if it's no, just put another. It's just between you and God, right there. It's on your notes. On your, we're a little quiz. Never done a quiz, right? Here we go. Couple of them. Let's hit it. You shall have no other gods before me. Before you mark, can you say, there's never been anything in my life more important to me than my relationship with God. There's never been something or somebody in my life that is not God, but I give them a God-like weight. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've searched for your significance in something other than God? If you're like, never has. Okay, then go ahead and mark, yeah, I'm good. Here's one. You shall not take my name in vain. Can you say there's never been a time when you wielded the name of God inappropriately? Never once. You've never come into a worship service lethargic and apathetic, dialing it in, not coming in to honor the great name of Jesus Christ. Never happened, right? There's never been a time when you've said, I'm a follower of God, but by your choices, right, you've not represented him well. Go ahead and mark that. That's what it means to take his name in vain. Here's one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath. I know that's crazy. The Sabbath, actually resting, is actually in the Ten Commandments. Crazy. I've always chosen, Jason, to cease working one day a week and remind myself that my provision and my success comes from God alone. I've always done that. I've always said no to other things to honor God because he is the provider of my life. I've stopped working I've stopped striving. There's a time every week where I just rest in the fact and celebrate that God provides. If that's you, you've been good at, go ahead and mark you out. Here's one. Honor your parents. There's never been a time, this counts for you old timers too, with your parents back in the day. There's never been a time that me and my mom or dad had any issues. We were always dialed in right together. We were always on the same page. There's never been one time I did anything to dishonor mom and dad. I've always been 100% truthful with them. Actually, this commandment's about authority in your life. So if you can say there's never been a teacher, there's never been a coach, there's never been a boss, there's never been a manager, there's never been a cop that I've spoken disparagingly of, but I've only honored them. Go ahead and mark that. But here's the one you're waiting on. Thou shalt not, you shall not kill. Yes, bam, mark it down. I got it. <laughs> Woo! I made it. I know, hold your, hold your roll though. Slow it down right here. The problem with this one's Jesus. Jason, Jesus isn't a problem. This one he is. Because Jesus in Matthew 5 says, you've heard that you shall not murder. I'm telling you, if you hate your brother, God sees it the same way as murder. So if you've never hated anybody or wished harm on anybody, go ahead and mark that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You shall not commit adultery, right? Yes or no, you shall not. Here's what that means. Again, Jesus in Matthew 5 says, 
You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you looked at anybody with lustful thoughts, you've done the same thing. So if you've only had sex inside the context of the bonds of marriage, room gets quiet, right? <laughs> Nor you've ever entertained sexual thoughts about someone else that's not your spouse. You're good. Go ahead and mark that. You shall not bear false witness. Or excuse me, you shall not steal. So if you, oh, I've never done that. So you've never taken credit for something that's not yours. You never looked at somebody's answers in biology class that wants yours. Right? You've all, right? Go ahead. If that's, you're good. Here we go. You shall not bear false witness. What does that mean? What does bear false witness mean? Here's what it means. That I've never bent the truth to get out of a bad situation. Never once. I've never stretched the truth to make myself look better. Every promise and commitment I've ever made, I've always kept. Go ahead and hit that if you're good. Here's the last one. And again, this isn't all of them. You shall not covet. There's never been a time when you thought, man, why do they got that and I don't? Why does he get the promotion and I don't? Why do they get the breaks and I don't? Listen to me. My, here's what we're going to do. Go ahead and trade with your neighbor and see what they did, right? Like you did on a quiz. <laughs> see how everybody's doing right there. No, I'm messing. Here's my guess across all of our campus. Here's my guess. You got what I got, a big fat zero. And if you didn't, I'm about to get to you in a minute when I talk about self-righteousness, okay? <laughs> but here's what I want you to see. I don't, it's been a long time since I've taken a quiz, but what I do know is if you get a zero on a quiz, that's called failing. Paul, look at me, everybody. Paul is saying to a bunch of people who were raised with morals, the issue isn't what you affirm, the issue is what you do. The issue isn't what you agree with. The issue is your actions. You and I can convince ourselves of our innocence because we affirm God's ways and God's truth. But the reality is our actions find us guilty. What did Francis Schaeffer say? I'd spend the first 50 minutes trying to convince somebody they're lost. They're broken. They're imperfect. And they're flawed. Sometimes our greatest illusion, the good news isn't good if the bad news isn't bad. And when we're convinced we're pretty good people, guess what? The good news isn't beautiful. Jesus is irrelevant. He's a story, but it's not the power of salvation. Put this down. Religion produces self-righteousness. Why isn't religion the answer? Because religion produces self-righteousness. Now, the word righteousness in the Bible, you'll see it all through Romans, but the word righteousness in the Bible is not a word we use, righteous, man, you know, maybe a surfer California word, not a word we use a lot, right? But the word righteousness means approved by God. For something to be righteous, here's what it means. God judges or sees it as good. So then to be self-righteous simply means in our own eyes we've met the standard. So if righteous means God looks and says good, God looks and says, you know, for, that God looks at us as good and judges as worthy. That's what it means to be righteous. To be self-righteous then is to prove of ourself and, and, and to approve of ourself. Now, all of us have encountered self-righteous people. What do you mean? People who were convinced of their own goodness and own humility and wanted you to know about it. Right? And here's the beauty about Bethlehem Church. Across all of our campuses, I mean this. There's a lot of things that can be said where we're imperfect. But this, the Bethlehem Church, one of the things I'm most proud of is you've got, we do not have 
right, the distinction or the reputation of being a self-righteous bunch. You re we really don't. You guys are grace-filled. You guys are ki kind. But let's push a little bit because all of us have a little bit of self-righteousness in us, and I want you to see it. What do you mean? Have you ever gotten angry with God? And maybe angry with God's a leap. Maybe have you ever been frustrated with God because God doesn't reward your obedience with some blessing? Has there ever been a time you've been frustrated with God because God doesn't, you know, reward your religious obedience with some type of blessing? What do you mean? But God, I've kept your commandments. But God, I do everything right. And by everything, I mean more than I do wrong. Right? But God, I've been faithful. But God, I make the right choices and I still didn't get the promotion. But God, I've done everything right and I still haven't found the right guy. But God, I've done everything right and I still didn't get the raise. But God, we've done everything right and we still can't have a baby. But God, we've done everything right and we still are dealing with with cancer, what is that in us that makes us go, God, why, God, why, self-righteousness? That's self-righteousness, that on my own, I deserve God's blessing. On my own, God owes me. I've kept up my end of the bargain. Why hasn't God? Church, what is that in us? Self-righteousness. Compared to others, all right, so let me give you three symptoms. You guys know them. But what happens? What does self, if religion produces self-righteousness, what are three symptoms of self-righteousness that you see show up in people? All right, one's a critical spirit. What's a critical spirit? Righteous people are quick to pass judgment. Righteous people are quick to pass judgment. They want to show others are worse than them because that's how they establish their goodness. You can just write judgmental. When someone has a critical spirit, they're not trying to point out how good they are. They're just trying to make the point that they're better than you. A critical spirit's not about trying to point out how good they are. A critical spirit's about just trying to remind and point out, at least in their mind or to other people, they're not perfect, but at least they're better. Self-righteous people are really quick to find fault. Like the fruit of the spirit is not fault-finding. Like fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forgiveness, fault-finding. That's not in there. <laughs> it's not in there. A fruit of the spirit is not fault-finding. It's the fruit of self-righteousness. Well, Jason, listen, listen, listen. I'm I'm, I, by nature, I'm a perfectionist. And I mean, I just have high standards and I'm just a perfectionist and I'm just a straight shooter. And so I, I'm really not, I, don't have a, I really don't have a critical spirit. I just want what's best for people. Right? No, my, my, when I point something out, it comes from a good place. No, ma'am, it comes from a self-righteous place. Well, my mom was like this. We'll text her and say, Pastor Jason, says, you're self-righteous too? <laughs> That's what a critical spirit is. It comes from this idea of self-righteousness. I'm good. I'm not saying I'm the best. I just want to point out I'm a tad better than you. Hypocrisy is another one. What's hypocrisy? Self-righteous people hide their own faults. 
so I want everybody to lean in because hypocrisy gets thrown around and there's a lot of bad definitions. We just call everything here. When, when, we, when the Bible talks about hypocrisy, hypocrisy is not telling another brother and sister in Christ they should or shouldn't do something and then doing it yourself. That's just called imperfection. And if you confess and repent of it, God will forgive you, and that's called being a Christian. Now, I just went right over. So I'm going to say it one more time. Hypocrisy is not telling another brother or sister in Christ they should or shouldn't do something that you love, and then you go out and do it. Because that's called imperfection. And if you confess and repent of it, that's just called being a Christ follower. Hypocrisy is telling another brother or sister in Christ they should or should not do something, doing it yourself and saying you didn't do it. That's hypocrisy. At its core, what Paul is saying is you can point out the wrongs in other people, but you who judge practice the same things, you just don't want to admit it. That's what Paul says. That's what religion produces. And here's the third one, insecurity. Self-righteous people are always worried about their standing. Always. Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Do other people see me as a good person, right? Does God see me as good? It's a cycle of thoughts that don't lead to freedom but lead to exhaustion, right? And what Paul, Paul is saying in Romans 2, if you keep following it all the way through, he gets into circumcision and uncircumcision. He gets into all these things that are super technical in Jewish terms. But what Paul is saying is the same thing Jesus said over and over and over. Jesus publicly, Jesus. Say the name with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus. Jesus publicly blasts upstanding citizens for being clean on the outside but rotten on the inside. Blast them. He tells the story of a younger brother and an older brother. You know the story as the prodigal. And the younger brother goes off living immorally, wasting money, wasting his life, goes off living immorally, and the older brother stays and does everything right. The younger brother, the Bible says, comes to his senses, comes back to the father. The older brother, right, never thought he did anything wrong and loses relationship with the father. Younger brother was rebellious, but he saw it. The older brother's religious, and he never saw it. Jesus tells the chief priest, not the priest, the chief priest, that prostitutes, prostitutes, did he say prostitutes? Prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God before they do. Why do I say all this? I'm raising my hand. My story's not one of rebellion. My story's the gospel saved me from self-righteousness. Right? And here's why I say this. Jesus repeatedly warns us that the battle against our own self-righteousness is our biggest battle of all. Well, Romans 1, Paul goes, this is what the world looks like when you displace God. And everybody's like, amen, brother. Amen. And in Romans 2, Paul goes, they is you. What you judge in others, you wrestle with yourself. And so there's a parable in Luke 18. There's a parable in Luke 18. As this mirror shines a light right here, I hear this, right? There's a pair in Luke chapter, there's a parable in Luke 18. Right? And I, I want Jesus teaches this. And I want us to see it, and I'm going to illustrate something 
as we head down the home stretch, I want to kind of land here because what I want you to, is oftentimes we think Jesus came to save the lost. And I want everybody to hear me say, Jesus came to save the lost. You can be lost in your immorality and you can be lost in your morality. What do you mean? You can be lost in your rebellion and you can be equally lost in your religion. And Jesus over and over again, his biggest battle wasn't with lost people who were rejecting him. His biggest battle were the religious people who didn't think, didn't think they needed him. Over and over again. So Jesus tells this story. Here's what it says. Jesus says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. What does that mean? Self-righteous. <laughs> to some who were confident of their own righteousness. And because of that, what they do? They had a critical spirit. They were hypocritical, and they were deeply insecure, and they looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this story. Here's what it says. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. What does that mean? One was deeply respected because he was a moral man. One was stealing from people, and everybody hated him. That's what Jesus said. Good man. Good family man. Good upstanding citizen. Worthless vile, evil, thief. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Let me, let me say it. If this is in our time, what this Pharisee would have prayed. What this self-righteous, the guy who was convinced of his own self-righteousness. Here, here's the way the prayer would have gone. God, I thank you, you created somebody like me. Thank you that you created me and thank you that you created me and gave me a good family. God, we're a good family and we know that. We don't have issues like they do. Our kids don't act like their kids. And we're super grateful to do all the good things we do for you because we're just grateful and we know you're grateful because we do good things for you. That's how the prayer would go. God, I'm super thankful for myself and, and truthfully, I know you're thankful because I'm a pretty good person. <laughs> and man, my family, I mean, we're not perfect, but compared to those guys over there, our marriage, we're not saying it's perfect. Nobody knows what happens behind closed doors. But on Sunday, we, we got it together and everybody thinks that. We lead a small group. We even help out. We get really crazy, and occasionally we get more than 10%. That's crazy. That's us. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. A sinner. And here's what Jesus said. I tell you that this man, what do you mean this man? The tax collector, rather than the other, the one you thought was a good man, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, church, come on, will be exalted. 
The hero of the story is the man who knows he's not a good person. The gospel is good news only if you are not convinced you're good in and of yourself. He offers zero excuses. The tax collector doesn't compare himself to anyone. What did the Pharisee do? Thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I don't do what they do. He, the, the, the tax collector doesn't take the posture of at least I'm not or at least I don't. He refused to try to justify himself. You know what he does? He throws himself at the mercy of Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. That guy, he's going to be lifted up. The religious guy, the self-righteous guy who justifies himself in his own mind and before people, he will be brought down and he will be brought down hard. Hard. Listen, I am preaching to myself. Why are you passionate about this? Because I was not saved from a life of rebellion. The gospel changed me in my self-righteousness. I was a good moral kid and I was lost. And I was lost in my morality. Listen to me, church. It is always easier to judge external activities of others than it is to examine our own internal reality. And so I want to leave a picture with you. Make this real simple. It is always easier to judge the external activities of others. Oconee County is easier than it is to examine our own eternal reality. So here's the way I want to end, just this simple picture so I can sear this in your mind. It's the difference between binoculars and a mirror. That's the difference between religion and the gospel. The, the difference between religion, self-righteousness, and the gospel, which is Christ and Christ alone is my salvation. Religion does what a binocular does. Maximizes the fault of others. Maximizes something from a distance and brings it real up close. Brings it into full and clear sight. What this does is give you an up close view of something that's really at a distance that you don't know full about but it brings it really close. Binoculars are not used to examine yourself, that it's used to maximize others, to examine something from a difference, from a distance, excuse me. But religion, that's what it does. It's binoculars. You don't, you don't, they don't, thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not one of those. Thank God that's not my family. Thank God that, that's religion. The gospel's a mirror. Because the mirror, the God, here's the difference between a mirror. The mirror just gives you a full view of yourself, for better or worse. What did we say the first week? The gospel is this. You are more sinful and flawed than you realize, but in Christ Jesus, you are more loved and accepted than you ever could imagine. And the gospel is about examining our heart and coming before and knowing that all we have in ourself is Jesus. Here's the prayer. The religious prayer is someone who thinks, thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not like them. That's what a religious person thinks. That's what a self-righteous person thinks. Thank God I'm not like those people. The gospel is thank God for Jesus because I am those people. 
Thank God for Jesus because without him, I am that. Thank God for Jesus because in and of myself, that's who I am. Thank God for Jesus. The religion, thank God I'm not like that. The gospel is thank God for Jesus because I'm just like that. And thank God he saved me in spite of me. And thank God he saved me in my worst. And thank God he saves me every day. And I'm not saved by my good deeds. I'm saved by Christ and Christ alone. Church, it's the beauty of the gospel. Will you stand with me across our campuses? And with your head bowed and eyes closed, just for a moment, I'm going to let your campus pastors in a few moments, Pastor Joel here at 316, but your campus pastors, where you're at, they're going to lead you in a prayer. In fact, we're going to give you an action, a practice step as this talk closes. I'm going to go ahead and prompt the prayer teams. Prayer teams, if you'll come on down, make your way on down, and, and, and as the service closes, we'd love to pray. Maybe tonight, maybe in these moments, you've seen the reality of religion. And Jesus has never changed you. The gospel and religion has been clear. Maybe you can come to our purchase and we can pray over you. But in these moments, we want to give you a prayer to pray this week. It's a prayer of freedom, not of religion. It's a prayer of thankfulness because of the gospel, not of goodness in our own. 